Our reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning to read at verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning to read at verse 6. How be it we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. That means mature. No one's perfect. It means more mature. Yet not the wisdom of this world, take note, not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. As it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Keep your Bible open there. Let us pray. Father, Tonight we ask you to shut our hearts in with your, thine own self that we would hear from heaven tonight. We thank you for the ministry and song that Billy has sang. We thank you for the freedom and the liberty to sing praises unto you at the beginning of this service. Lord, help our hearts to be opened and touched by thy spirit. May your word find a lodging place in every heart. Lord, as we look at the cross, we ask you, God, to make it living, alive, and real to us again. Those of us who are saved and blood-bought and blood-washed, that we're, we're anew to the cross tonight, Lord, like we're there for the first time tonight. Help us to see it, but help us to see him on it, who bore our sin. And Father, we ask if there's one here that's not saved. We pray, O oh God, that you would save them by your grace tonight. Lord, we realize they're not here by an accident, but they're here in your divine plan and purpose and order. Lord, may they hear the word of God. Reveal unto them the deep things of God concerning the cross and his work. And Father, we pray that he would be exalted and lifted up. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let me get this out of the road because I'll end up walking into it or tripping over it. Our reading tonight in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 was from verses 6 to verse 10. But the text that I want to focus everything in on, that I want to pivot everything upon is in verse 8. Which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. I woke up early Thursday morning with that verse burning in my heart. I woke up out of my sleep and it just lit on me and it started to burn in me. Which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would have not have crucified. They would not have crucified 
the Lord of glory. You know, in many circles in, in the world today, to say that you believe, that you believe that Christ has died for your sins, that you are, are a Christian, there are many, many people who think light of it and little of it. In fact, in society today, the cross is something that is just silly and superstitious. And even in many church circles, sadly, the preaching of the cross is being diminished on the left hand and on the right. Is the preaching of the cross still relevant today? Is the preaching of the cross... Now, when I say the cross, I mean Christ dying on the cross. Christ's finished work on the cross. In other words, when he died, he paid for all of our sin, your sin and mine, in its fullness, in its totality, that he died once and for all for it, and that it will never be repeated again. So is the preaching of the cross still relevant today? In the year 2022, we find that the cross of Christ is not very popular among even some churches you might go to. I know some places and some preachers who have went to various churches and they've been warned not to preach on the blood. They've been warned not to go too hot and heavy, as it were, on the preaching of the cross of Christ. What sort of a church doesn't preach the cross because they feel it is irrelevant today? How important is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, the work of Christ on the cross? It is of the utmost importance, and I'll tell you why. Because without the preaching of the cross, no one can be saved. Without the preaching of the cross, none can hear the gospel. The gospel is not living a good life. The gospel is not having a blessed time, a good day. Your best life now. The gospel of saving grace is preached via the cross of Christ, through the blood of Christ, which he said, and it's only that way that you can be saved. I want to look more into it this evening, if you'll bear with me. Paul the Apostle, he's the apostle of the ascended Lord Jesus Christ. And while Paul explains to us the great mysteries of God in the book of Corinthians, by the way, the city of Corinth was a city full of licentiousness. It was a place of depravity and great sin. It was a commerce city where they came from all over different parts of the Mediterranean world and maybe further and beyond. And there, there was all sorts of happenings. There were, as it were, a red light district. It was like a red light. The whole city was like a red light district. And so much so, so much so, that there was a saying that went around the Mediterranean to someone who was living an ungodly life, even beyond the pagan lifestyles or the heathen lifestyles, those who didn't know Christ. Even they, in their little morals, their small morality would look at someone who was in deep depravity and they would have the saying, stop playing the Corinthian or don't play the Corinthian. So sinful 
And yet God had a church planted in a place of darkness. You know why? Because the light shines brighter when it's dark. So don't be discouraged, brothers and sisters and friends, in a world that is dark, because you and I, with the light of the gospel, we are the light of the world, the body of Christ. And we are in this world for a reason. Whether it's from the elitist down, darkness is everywhere. It's pushing Christ out of every part of society. And that darkness seems to be permeating every area of everyone's life. You keep shining. You keep close to Christ. And always make your way back to the cross. And there you'll find that you are one with God. And one with God, in the words of John Knox, a man with God is in the majority. One with God is in the majority. Paul was saying through the Corinthian letters to the Corinthian church, and especially in 1 Corinthians, listen to what he says. He brings revelation from God. In 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and into 14, he explains the spiritual gifts, the nine spiritual gifts, and he goes into them further And the Corinthian church were using the spiritual gifts, tongues and interpretation, tongues, word of knowledge and word of prophecy and so on and so on. But they were using it in a manic way. There was no set pattern to the church. And Paul, he comes and he gives them, if you want, a commentary, an expanded edition from the revelation of God, how these gifts should work. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he then gives us the institution, more uh, uh, expository preaching on the institution of the breaking of bread. You know, when the Lord broke bread and he said, this is my body, this do in remembrance of me, when he took the cup, this cup is a new covenant to my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sin, this do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And Paul gives us a, he gives us a letter that expounds it to the Corinthian church. These are the deep hidden things of God that Paul has been given by God. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, he speaks about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he speaks about not only the second coming, he speaks about the resurrection of the dead. He speaks about the change of the body. He talks about the body this mortal shall put on immortality when Christ returns. This corruptible shall put on incorruption when Christ returns. And he expounds and expands all of this to us, especially through the Corinthian letter. Notice, all of these are needful for us. All of these are helpful for us. All of these are useful for us. And all of these are essential for us. The greatest thing which he expounds on and expresses is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He takes it and he shows us the work of Christ on the cross and on Paul's heart, in Paul's mind, the whole way through the letters. Sometime, get a pen and underline it every time in a letter of Paul, no matter where it's the first and second Corinthians or any other letter, when he mentions Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ our Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, Christ. You, you underline it and your Bible will start to fill up full of underlined words because Christ filled Paul with the Holy Ghost and power and 
Christ was everything to Paul's ministry. But Paul always, whether it's to do with spiritual gifts or whether it's to do with the breaking of the bread or whether it's to do with the understanding of the resurrection and the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul always brings us back to Calvary. Back to the cross. He brings us back to where Christ died for our sins. In Philippians 3 and 18, Paul warns of the enemies of the cross of Christ. If you'd like to turn briefly, Paul warns of the enemies of the cross of Christ. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 18. Notice, For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now I tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Today we have many enemies of the cross of Christ, and they don't want the cross of Christ being mentioned talked about, expounded, nor preached. But it's the cross of Christ. It's his cross work that we are saved through. And hence they want none to go to glory and leave it with people to find their own way, which is futile and it does not work. Notice, for they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Now look at this. Their destruction, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. In other words, they are so self-centered and whose glory is in their shame who mind earthly things. And Paul tells us about these people. They're enemies of the cross of Christ, but their end is destruction. I'm speaking to someone. Am I speaking to a man or a woman? And you've been an enemy of the cross of Christ. Oh, well, I would never be an enemy. Jesus says, if you're not with me, you're against me. The Bible tells us if any man loves the world, that the love of the Father isn't in him. And actually, it tells us also that if any man loves the world, he is an enmity or he's an enemy of God. Am I speaking to someone who's classed as an enemy, but your end is destruction. And it's been all what I can do and all who I can be And maybe I will get to heaven my own way. You mind earthly things. In other words, you've no no sense of of salvation. You've no sense of forgiveness of sins. You've no sense of God about you. You've no sense even of a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Simply being because you've never heard of the cross of Christ. Notice verse 20. For our conversation, our lifestyle is, is in heaven. Billy was singing about heaven. For our conversation is in heaven. I think it's tremendous when we think that through a cross, because I'm going to bring you somewhere with it, through a cross, through a man dying on a cross, our eternal destiny changes. Because the man Christ Jesus died on the cross and I'm trusting in him, my destiny has changed. My destiny was the broad road to destruction. That's where I was before I was saved. My destiny was to be lost forever and ever and ever. 
My destiny was that I was not only on a broad road to destruction to be lost forever and ever, but I was headed for a lake of fire. A fire of burning brimstone that burns forever and ever and ever. Without reprieve, separated from God. That was my destiny. But because of a man, because Christ Jesus, the man, died on the cross, he changed my eternal destiny. He changed my destiny. Calvary, the cross of Christ, it brings us from darkness unto light. It brings us from sin and Satan unto Christ and heaven. It brings us from being guilty before God to justified and innocent before God. All to do with the cross work of Christ. The cross work of Christ brings us from a narrow road of destruction to, or pardon me, a broad road of destruction to a narrow way. The cross of Christ passing by, going through the blood of Christ, washes me and cleanses me on you that you and I can stand in that day before God and he has pronounced me not guilty because a man died for me because he died for you. How important then? How important is it for the preaching of the cross? And is the cross The preaching of the cross still relevant today. I say, yes, it is. I say, yes, it is. What do you say, brothers and sisters? Come on, let the devil hear. Of course it is. A man or a woman cannot be saved nor forgiven. They will never be glory bound without the cross, without trusting in the finished work of Christ and the blood that he shed and that alone. Notice here, look at verse 21. Paul says, who shall change our vile body? Isn't that? Paul doesn't hold back to you, doesn't he? He says, see your body because of the sin in you. It's vile. (laughs) Let's be honest, when we go on our holidays, when you walk along the seafront and, oh, you can see a, a lot of old dead bodies blobbing about there. Some of them need to put clothes on. It just speaks of death. Your body and mine, our flesh, what it speaks of? It speaks of death, corruption. This man you're looking at, he's dying. I don't know how long I've got, the Lord does, but he's dying. Well, there's a hundred years. I don't know if Alison could stick me another hundred years, to be honest. Well, it's a hundred days. This corruptible, when Christ returns, will put on incorruption. This mortal will put on immortality. And Paul says here in Philippians 3 and 21, who shall change our vile bodies. Notice that it might be fashioned like unto his glorious body. I remember going to a prayer meeting and there's a wee man, he's going on to his rest now. And he used to pray, Lord, there's an old man, and he used to pray, Lord, you love your son so much, Father. 
You love him so much that you want to make millions more of us like him. We all like worked in the shipyard. He had those two, fing- those two fingers cut off in an accident. And they were like this. And he used to pray like this. He thought he was shooting a gun. Lord. I was waiting on the sound effect. Pew, pew, pew. Lord, do you love your son so much? You want to make millions more of us like him. That's what the father thinks of his son. That he will make millions more of us to be like Jesus. What a Christ. What a saviour. According to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. So, going back to the Corinthian letter. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm just going to go through this quickly on in verse 17. Listen to what the apostle says. For Christ sent me not to baptize but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest, and he mentions it again, the cross of Christ. Not Paul on a cross. Not a cross plus works. The cross of Christ. He emphasizes it, he points it out, and he picks it out, and he says, the cross of Christ. How you saved through the cross of Christ. How you forgiven through the cross of Christ? How you get into heaven through the cross of Christ? And Paul says, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Verse 18, for the preaching of the cross. See the word preaching here? It's the word logos. And it gives the idea of speech. The preaching of the cross gives the idea So the Logos in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John tells us that in John 1, verses 1 to 3. And the Word, Word is Logos. It's the mind. It speaks of the Word. The thoughts of the Father. Here in front of him, face to face. Eternally with him. And we're told the preaching of the cross. When you think about it, the the logos that you and I talk about, what we're doing tonight, what we're listening to tonight, is the mind of the Father. It's the plan of the Father. It has everything to do with the Father giving us his only begotten Son. And hence, when we preach the cross of Christ, then we are reaching sinners who are not yet saved. It's the power of the blood. And here the preaching, the logos of the cross, notice it's to them that perish foolishness. This is where I want to bring you just at the moment because, strange, I was talking to someone. I've talked to a lot of people. I was telling you this earlier this week. I think because it was off, people thought I know I can get them. And they were talking to me more. But I was talking to someone and they, 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 they asked me a question. And the question was about what about some people, and they make fun of me because I'm a Christian. They make light of it when I tell them that Jesus died on the cross. This was their language and their talk to me. And they were feeling low about it. They were feeling down about it. And I says, well, you know, strange you should say that for 
I have just finished writing about people like that. And what the Bible says and what God's word says. And, and here Paul is saying in verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish. Would you say perish? I hope you're not perishing tonight. To them who are unsaved, the, the, the ungodly, those who have not been to the cross, to them that perish, he says, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. In other words, the unsaved say to me, and the unsaved say to you, we're foolish. Imagine believing that a man died on a cross. Imagine believing that God became flesh. Imagine believing that his death and his blood is what cleanses you from sin. Imagine believing these things. That's foolishness. The word foolishness uh, there is the word mor- uh, moria. And it's really one of the main root words where we get our English word moron from. So really, in a sense, what they're saying to us is because if you believe in a man who became, or God who became a man, if you believe he came from heaven, and if you believe that he died in your stead, if you believe he paid your debt, if you believe his blood is still avails for you 2,000 years later, if you believe that you're forgiven by this, and you believe that you're going to heaven, that you'll be in God's glory with this, then you're a moron. So is the preaching of the cross still relevant today? Have we outgrown the cross? Have we become too sophisticated for the cross? Have we become so intelligent we don't need the cross? We'll look at it in a minute because that's what's happened with society and they have programmed the minds of our children from their no height the whole way to university. You're a moron if you believe in the cross. You're a moron if you believe that this man died for you. I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters, I'm no moron. I used to be a moron because I was perishing. (laughs) I'm a child of God tonight. I'm washed in the blood. I'm trusting in the Lord. I got up this morning, I was just thinking of a few things and started singing to myself and I'm not a best of singers at the best of times. But I can tell you, I'm even worse when I first get up. I'm croaking away just softly to myself for everyone was still sleeping. I sat down with the word, just to read it before church and just to get my heart right. Thought about him coming to die for me. I thought who I was and where my eternal destiny was going to be. And I thought of him coming for me. Imagine that. Imagine him coming for me. He came for you. I remember I just sat this morning. I sat and I just closed the word. No one of those times you can't take anymore. Lord, I'm well fed. <laughs> closed the word and I said, oh, thank you, Lord. See, I don't miss the world. I don't miss that life. The devil would have you think it's good and it's fun. But I remember how it near destroyed my life. I don't miss it. 
I don't miss the alcohol. And I don't miss the drugs. I don't miss any of it. You see, when I got saved, Christ came into my life. He filled me to the full. And he satisfies me every day. Now none but Christ can satisfy. None other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy. Lord Jesus found in thee. Brothers and sisters, isn't he wonderful? Notice here, there are those who are perishing. They think we're moronic. Listen to what it says in verse 18 again. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. So that's them. That's those unsaved. But unto us. <laughs> See the difference? It doesn't say to those that go to church. It doesn't say that to those that belong to the Roman Catholic Church. It doesn't say to those who belong to a Protestant denomination. It doesn't say any of it. It says, but unto us, which are saved. Are you saved tonight? Are you saved tonight? But unto us, which are saved, the cross, the preaching of the cross. Listen, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us which are saved, the preaching of the cross, to us which are saved, it is the power of God. What do you mean the cross is the power of God? The word power there is the word dunamis. It's where we get our English word dynamite. <laughs> See what you're hearing tonight? It's dynamite. <laughs> no, what's dynamite? It's dynamite because it resurrects the dead. Those who are spiritually dead, and they hear of the work of Christ. By the way, the word dunamis, it gives the idea of an inherent power. Inherent power. So if I get the stick of dynamite, set it on here, strike the match, light the fuse, I reckon within a few seconds the tent would empty. And I'd be the first out that way. Probably couldn't get past Wally Steele. He'd be flying out there before me. See, it has an inherent power, but you need to light the fuse. You need to light the fuse. And it's when you light the fuse of the word of God with the preaching of the word. You light the fuse and wait for the bang. Watch for the power. The releasing of the word. The preaching of the cross is to them which perish foolishness Born to us which are saved, it is the dynamite. It is the power of God. In verse 21, just moving quickly, of chapter 1, the end of the chapter just says, It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. <laughs> the thing about it is, whenever I look like a fool to many, that I'm up here preaching about a man who came and died on the cross, who is God, the Son of God. You know, and his blood washes us from our sins. And while the world thinks that I'm a moros or a moronic, even to think of that, and let alone to stand up here in front of all of you people and preach that, 
They might be thinking that, but here's what the father thinks. It pleased the father by what I'm doing to save people. It saved the father to save, it pleased the father to save him. Do you want to please your your father in heaven? Do you want to know how you please your father in heaven? I'll tell you how you please your father in heaven. Go out and tell people about the cross of Christ. And don't shut up about it. And you'll be pleasing your father. The father Luke says, it's through him. It's through my son. If this is what pleases the father, and this is the only way, then how can the unsaved think they'll come to heaven any other way? And then in verse 23, I have it written behind me. Paul says, but we preach. The word preach is different than the other preaching, which was uh, logos. This one is caruso. And it means we are like a herald. We are like a town crier. We are like a town crier. What do you think of that? You're meant to be like a town crier everywhere you go. So we preach Christ crucified. What do you do in CET? What do you believe in CET? We preach Christ crucified. We're not preaching CET. We're not preaching this church. We're not preaching this pastor or this elder here or the other one that's away on holiday. We're not preaching anyone else of oversight. We're not preaching anything to do with this church. We preach Christ crucified. We're not preaching ritual. We're not preaching religion. We're preaching the living Christ. You say, but he's crucified and he died. Aye, but he rose again the third day. He rose again the third day. Oh, I, they took him down from the cross and they laid him in the tomb. They rolled a stone and they put a seal on it. And just to make sure they put some guards on it. And sure, the big angel came down, just swallowed them all aside and rolled the stone away. And Jesus walked out on the third day. He's alive after the power of an endless life. Believe it or not, I'm not even at the end of my first page. I'm going to have to cut this down. Paul. Paul's appeal in this letter, now I want you to get this, Paul's appeal in this letter is to the Corinthians' conscience. Paul's appeal in this letter is to the Corinthians' conscience in a city of debased immorality rather than being to their intellect. Would you say conscience? Would you say it again louder? We all have one. We all have one. Paul was writing this letter to their conscience, not to their intellect. See, the intellect says, I'll think about it. The intellect says, I can't work this out in my head. It mustn't be right. It mustn't be real. Uh, so then we'll, we'll look at the big bang for how the world, how the world will fall. Let me see. yeah. I watched the two-hour thing uh, with headphones on yesterday, a debate with atheists and a couple of uh, well-known Christian apologists. And one of the Christians says, tell me, you believe in evolution? I do, I do, we do, of course we do. And actually one of them got a bit angry and out of his seat and run up and down, threatening, and he he was quite aggressive. Neither the atheist, not the Christian. You believe in evolution? Yeah, we do, we do, yes. So you're saying we came from uh, this uh, 
primordial soup? Well, of course we did. Yes, we did. He says, okay. So really what you're saying is, that a professor used to be a fish. And they went, now, don't be silly. He says, no, hold on. Do you believe that we've evolved from the fish and, and primordial soup where there was fish evolved and up? He went, yes. He says, so your ancestors were fish and primordial soup? Well, suppose we think about it. Yes, I were. And they say that we're Moria, Moros. Paul is, Paul in this letter is, is appealing to the Corinthian conscience that God would speak to the heart and mind. See, if it's to the intellect, you can't get saved by thinking. The heart needs regenerated and changed. Man believeth with the heart and he confesses with the mouth that Christ has died and rose again. Puritan John Trapp, listen to what he said about your conscience. He says, conscience is God's spy and man's overseer. And maybe, maybe you're not saved and maybe you're here tonight and maybe you, you go out those doors without the Lord and you could be lying in bed tonight and your conscience will go, are you perishing? You're perishing. You don't know Christ. You're perishing. What if you perished tonight? What if you went now? Would you be in the lake of fire? Would you be guilty under judgment? Your conscience thinks, you see. God's spy and man's overseer. John Trapp once said that conscience is a domestic chaplain. Your conscience is like your pastor with you all the time. Are you saved? Are you ready? Are you right? Are you forgiven? Have you been to the cross? Have you repented of your sin? Brother, sister, and friend tonight, it's not about working it all out. I want you to get it. It's not about working it all out. It's about God working it all out in you. Nehemiah Rogers once said, The Lord God hath set it as his deputy in the breast of man. There you are. The deputy badge is on you, your conscience. God has set it. And William Gurnall said, conscience is God's sergeant. He employs to arrest the sinner. God employs your conscience. It's like a sergeant. I'm coming to arrest you tonight. You're driving down the road and suddenly your conscience is hit. And the sergeant arrests you. Your mind is arrested. So Paul is appealing to conscience and not to the intellect for if I had a, a pound coin for the amount of people over the years who says, well, think about it. I'll think about it. I'd be able to put it in the building fund and do well. Yeah. 
conscience is not to the intellect. The cross is the only means of salvation and it goes against all human understanding and intellect. That's why it's to the conscience. The cross goes against everything that you can think of. The cross seems impossible to you. The cross is unintelligible to you. The cross makes you think about it rather than believe it and receive it. So it's not your intellect, but your conscience. To a man who has God died for us. Yes. A man who has God paid the debt of sin for us. Yes. A man who has God done that by the giving of himself and the shedding of his own blood. Yes. And you really believe that, preacher? Yes. A hundred percent. I remember the night when I got saved and I seen Pastor McConnell preaching with a passion, but he knew the one he was preaching about. And the Holy Ghost showed me my need of this man that he preached about. Showed me Calvary. Showed me the cross. Showed me my sin. My inability to save myself. And I seen the Lamb of God bearing away my sin in his own body on the tree. And he says, oh, he says, sinner, you could go out those doors tonight and pass this stumbling block. And you could go out those doors into a lost eternity. I trust tonight you won't go out the doors without Christ into a lost eternity. I'm going to wrap this up. I've too much here, so bear with me for another few moments. In 1 Corinthians 1.22, Paul says, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. In other words, the Jews were looking for a sign because they were looking liberty from the Romans. And the Greeks, after their philosophy, they're wanting to hear philosophy. Listen, the cross of Christ is not philosophy. There's too much philosophy trying to be proven. There's too much philosophy trying to be even preached and taught from the pulpits. It's not about philosophy. It's straightforward preaching in the power of the Holy Ghost. It's about the power of the blood and it's about the power of the cross for the salvation of the soul. It's not philosophy. Philosophy touches your intellect. Philosophy speaks to your mind. But Paul is trying to reach the conscience The conscience, I looked it up here, and many of them say the conscience is the soul of the man and the soul of the woman. What I'm trying to do tonight, reach right into your soul with the word of God. Chapter 2 and verse 1, we have the testimony of God. Chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul mentions the testimony of God. In chapter 2 and verse 5, he mentions the power of God. And in chapter 2 and verse 7, he speaks of the wisdom of God. In chapter 2 and verse 10, he speaks of the, the deep things of God. Here's the thing. He's speaking this around the cross. Please get this. Please get this. I want you to grasp it. Christian, I need you to grasp it. I want you to because it'll just illuminate your heart again. 
it'll cause you to it'll cause you to be on fire. An old friend in America, and he says, if that doesn't set you on fire, your wood's wet. Trust your wood isn't wet tonight. Listen, all of this is speaking of the, the, the testimony of God. It's Christ on the cross is the testimony. Christ on the cross is the power of God. Christ on the cross is the wisdom of God. Where's the wisdom in a man dying on a tree? Where's the wisdom in this? A man coming on an excruciating pain, bearing sin away. Where's the wisdom? Because your intellect says it can't happen, but the Holy Ghost says it did. The deep things of God. It's about Christ and the cross. The word deep, by the way, is the word bathos. It's where you get the word bath from, deep water. It's like way deep down in the depths of the sea. It gives the idea of and the way deep in the spirit and, the, and eternity with God. Oh, way by our understanding and our own thinking. Away in the deep depths with God. There he had a plan of salvation. Before there was a sinner on the earth in Adam, there was a savior in heaven in Christ. The deep things of God. Paul says, you're seeing what God had in his own mind, what God had given to his own son, even before Adam was on the earth. Listen, you talk about all of these people, oh, the, 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 the stars that we're able to see and the, the, you know, the, the camera work that's being sent back and, and all the films and the photos of galaxies, so many hundreds of billions of light years away. And like a, a, a light year's a long time. A light year's a long time. Yet God is outside of it. Heaven's beyond it. And away before God framed it all, before God spoke it into existence, way before God done any of it, he knew you, he loved you, and his plan was to save you. The deep, deep things of God, the bathos of the Father. He knew me, yet he loved me. He whose glory makes the heavens shine. He said of him, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. I for one am glad he never did. So Paul says, and I am finishing, Paul says in Galatians 6 and 14, God forbid, God forbid that I should glory. Save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, when a man or a woman thinks, I, I'm not a bad person, I'll get to heaven that way. Well, it's wrong because the Bible says you won't. But see, in that, that's glorying in ourselves. See, when someone says you have to go through a certain ritual uh, and religion to to get the glory, to be saved and go to heaven. You see, that's glorying in the ritual. That's glorying in what man can do. You know what? It's all nonsense. It's all nonsense and rubbish. Ken, how are you going to get the glory? See the day when I stand before my Father in heaven? See if it was ever asked. It won't be because he knows, because he planned it. <laughs> See if it was ever asked. 
What are you doing here? How did you get here? What did you do to get here? Here's my answer. Didn't do anything. I'm saved by grace because I've come by the way of the cross. I've come by the blood of Christ. The Lord Jesus, when he died, he blotted out our transgressions, the sins and the ordinances that were against us. Brothers and sisters, those of us who are saved tonight, those of us who have been to the cross tonight, we can say with an assurance of our heart that we're only saved because Christ died for me.